You've been listening to Life by Divine with your host, Sue DeMay. Shift your consciousness from head to heart and enliven your soul as you discover how to lead with your heart and live your own life by divine. Join Sue in the growing global heart-led living community at heartledliving.com. That is heartledliving.com. Welcome to the show. It's an honor to be here once again. And I know this is really challenging times for a lot of people. It's actually quite an exciting time for some people and quite a challenging time for others. Depends on the perspective we hold and the perspective we're we're seeing the world through, what lens we're seeing the world through. And right now, what I'm witnessing is a lot of acts of kindness, a lot of Uh, profound shifts in a lot of people, big changes within their own minds, within their hearts. Hearts are opening, minds are softening and opening, and I'm seeing a lot of compassion. And there's compassion for, you know, there was compassion for the homeless before, there was compassion for different groups of people before, but, but it's actually expanded now. And it's like everyone matters not just certain groups, but everyone matters. So there's a real beautiful shift. I'm I'm actually in this state of like awe and wonderment. I'm, I'm in this state of awe seeing just how incredible, compassionate, and deeply deep empathy people are coming from this. There's this, there's a shift in humanity and it's, it's beautiful to witness all of us coming together in a shared cause. And then on the other side, there's this fear, this growing fear, this feeding fear, this programmed fear, this expanding fear all around us. So at any one time, you can look in any direction. And if you're looking through the lens of love, you can see the evidence of love and compassion and empathy and kindness and coming together And you can see this unity, this global unification that's happening. I I spoke about that in last week's show. And at the same time, if we, we choose to look through the lens of fear, we can see the, the fear that's actually really ripe and raw. And if we feed it, it will expand. If we meet that fear with fear, it will expand. But if we can meet that fear with love, love expands. Now, it doesn't mean we turn a, a blind eye and we pretend that things aren't happening and we ignore certain things. That's not it at all. It's just, can we look through the lens of love and compassion and understanding? And in that, love in action or inspired action may look like you taking a stand for some group of individuals, or it may look like you actually standing up and saying, okay, what you're doing is not okay. It's not unacceptable. We won't stand for it anymore. I, I want people to recognize that standing in love and, and being a beacon for this message is not about sitting back and not doing anything. And sometimes love is fierce. It's fierce love. 
So in every moment I talk about that, we, we're standing in a choice for fear or chance, standing in a choice for love. And I do my best to be in a, that space of love as much as I can. There's every once in a while now, my ego will still catch me. So today I wanted to talk about the evolution of the ego in relationship to this global challenge, to the COVID-19, to even, even the, the mass shooting in Nova Scotia. So there's, there's a lot going on in the world that we're not hearing about because the big news is just, you know, COVID-19. And now in Canada, we were getting more news about this mass shooting in, in Nova Scotia. So, but there's a lot going on in the world. And if you see these pockets of, of beauty and compassion and love, then you can actually stay in that place of hope for humanity. You can stay in that place. So, you know, there's a bigger, there's something bigger than all of us playing out here. And when we have an understanding of where the ego mind can go or the tactics that it uses to keep us stuck in fear, then we'll actually can, we can actually be one step ahead of it. So I've talked about this in previous episodes. The, the ego is very adaptable. It's a shift, sh- uh, shape shifter. It's a, it changes based on our awareness. It changes based on circumstance. It, chase, it, it changes in an, in an instant. It can change its angle and the tactics it's using based on where you are on that level of awareness and, and consciousness. So it also can change and evolve based on what we're witnessing and seeing going on in the world. So it thrives in times of uncertainty. The ego thrives because it, it knows only fear and we have an embedded programming around the fear of uncertainty. That's something that society has really kind of drilled into our minds. And there's this fear of what's going to happen, what's not going to happen. And a fear of illness, fear of disease, fear of humanity kind of imploding. It's like there's so much that we can be afraid of right now. And it's easy. It's actually easy to be in fear. It's more work to be in that state of love, to be choosing love and to see all the fear in the world as a call for love. That's the choice we have. But how do we get there when the ego in our mind, that teacher fear, is actually working against love because it doesn't know love. It, it is afraid of love. And therefore, we're afraid of love. If we're in alignment with the ego, we are in fear of love. So when we look at how the ego evolves, it's basically, it's, it's clever, it's cunning, it's, it's only goal is to keep you safe, protected, and playing small. And it will stop at nothing to do that. And that includes finding really clever ways to evolve so that it can keep leading and, and feeding your fear, leading with fear and leading with, and feeding your fear. So today I want to talk about the 10 stages of evolution. And these are 10 stages that I share in my book, The Evolution of the Ego. And the evolution of the ego is a journey to unwind your mind in order for you to embrace your humanness and embody your divinity. So there's a way that we can actually be in our humanness and embody our divinity at the same time. It's not one or the other, it's both. 
And we'll go through stages and we kind of evolve in our own spiritual practice to, to come to that place. But at the same time, the ego evolves. The more aware we become of the ego, the more it has to shift and change. So it gets clever. So let's talk about the evolution of the ego and let's talk about the 10 stages. I'm going to share little glimpses of each one of them and talk a little bit about them. And then one that I actually, there's 11 stages. If you want to look at that, there's one extra one that kind of ties into the spiritual ego, but I'll share a little bit about that. Perhaps I'll do a whole episode. I could do a whole episode on the spiritual ego and the super ego. Those two together are uh, very curious uh, stages for sure. So let's begin with the everyday ego. The everyday ego is what each one of us really encounters, whether you realize it or not. Those that are asleep, living life by design, uh, life by design, default, sorry. Those that are living life by default and life by design, the everyday ego is very prominent. It's very strong, it's very present, and it's got no problem feeding us with fear and using the fear in the world to continue to keep us in fear. Now, it doesn't mean that we live constantly in fear. It just, it's, just has an easy angle and it doesn't take a lot to have the ego come in and take us into a, a little wormhole of worry or concern or anxiety, those kinds of things. It's just the everyday ego, how it shows up in most people. And for the most part, it's actually really embedded in our thoughts and it can easily take us down into those, those worry thoughts, those wormholes. And when we get caught in those fears, it can keep us there for a long time. And a lot of the everyday ego ammunition or food is actually the programming that's already embedded in our minds from really early on through and through life and continues to be. So the everyday ego is if you look at the the news right now, it's filled with everyday ego. It's filled with a lot of fear, concern, worry, doom and gloom, kind of what's, what's going to happen, what's the worst case scenario. So it, there's a difference between being informed and being scared, being informed and, and using fear as a motivator. So I'm not judging people. I'm not I don't want to go there with it. I just want to inform you or have you look at things a little differently. This is just the way the news is. And it's just the way it has been. It doesn't mean that that's the way it has to be from here on in. But most news stations are in are, are used to actually leading with fear. And most people are addicted to watching the news that actually leads with fear. That's part of our programming. So one programming feeds into the other. That's the everyday ego. The everyday ego is, is one that you'll probably encounter a lot here and there. Witness it in other people. The hide and seek ego is, I'm not, now I'm not sharing these phases in the order that they show up because they can show up in different phases. The ego will evolve based on your own awareness, your own consciousness, your own mindset at that time. So it will skip one of these, it will maybe not even go through the one phase, or it could go through all these phases, but in different orders, or it can jump back and forth. So don't get caught up in the one, two, three to 10. It's not in the order specifically. So number two option with the ego for the phase is the hide and seek ego. The hide and seek ego is a clever one. 
and a tricksy one for me to identify because it's, it was really well hidden, hence the name Hide and Seek Ego. I remember this one time when I was sitting in my yoga studio and I was in meditation. I was nice and quiet. I was in between classes and I heard this voice and you're wasting your time. And I was like, I literally felt like someone was behind me. So I opened my eyes and turned around to look. And of course I was in my studio by myself. So there was nobody there. So I closed my eyes again and I heard another word, more words. And I'm like, okay, what is this? So I, I really kind of paused and got really quiet and set an intention to reveal to heal. When I do the reveal to heal, my intention is to identify what it is that's hidden in my blind spot. And when I identify what's hidden in my blind spot, then I'm able to actually clear and heal it. So what I was able to do is identify the ego hiding behind a tree. So the, the image I had when I got back into my meditation, I went a little deeper. And when I declared reveal to heal, I actually saw the ego hiding behind a tree. And it would pop its head out the side and yell something at me and then tuck behind the tree. So at first I was like, you little bugger, like, I can't believe you're doing this. And then my second thought was like, I see you. I see you. So it became a bit of a hide and seek game. And what I was able to do was start to identify and discern when the ego was coming in, when it was being clever, when it was kind of throwing things out at me with different thoughts. And I could identify it and then I could start to shift it. When I started to get really clever and I got really good at the hide and seek game, the ego gave up and evolved and shifted. And it shifted into what I call the temper tantrum ego. This is the third one. The temper tantrum ego is where the ego just freaks out, yelling, kicking, screaming, going nuts and will stop at nothing to get your attention. Just like a child that has a temper tantrum wants to get their way and is not able to get their way. So for me, the temper tantrum ego was actually quite interesting to watch and witness once I identified what it was. So here's the challenge. When the ego evolves and you don't actually know what's happening, then it actually catches you and keeps you kind of stuck in that phase or that stage for longer. When you have an awareness, then you can actually shift out of it. So initially, the temper tantrum ego just felt like me in a bad mood, getting grumpy or whatever it was. But when I started to recognize them, like, this is my ego feeding these thoughts. This is my ego freaking out right now and kicking and screaming and going crazy. I actually could stop and observe, take a step back and observe the ego without getting caught up in it, without getting stuck in it, or without feeling like it's just me having a temper tantrum. And I, I teach the ego as a separate kind of entity because I find it helpful for people to understand. It's a part of them that they created that's designed to keep them safe and protected, but it ends up being more like a helicopter parent kind of hovering over you to try and keep you safe. And it gets very sneaky and, and conniving. So when we can kind of separate ourselves a little bit from the fear, separate ourselves a little bit from the ego, we're actually able to identify it and witness it so we can be that compassionate witness for when we are caught up with the ego. The temper tantrum ego it was interesting for me because when my son was young, 
we went on a trip and we and he saw another child around his age have a temper tantrum and he saw how that child actually got their way through the temper tantrum so when we came home he was determined to try this little you know game out and see what happened with me so he he'd never done it before so it was really kind of odd and and just kind of through through came out of nowhere it felt like it just was like thrown out of nowhere we were in the kitchen and all of a sudden he, I, I said no to him for something. He asked for something and I said no. And he just threw himself on the floor and started wailing and kicking and screaming. I'm looking at him a little bit in shock. Like, and then I was kind of like, oh, you, what, what are you doing? Like, it's just so not like you. So I didn't get caught up in it. I didn't get upset by it in this particular time, this first time. And I said, you know, buddy, when you're done, I'm going to be in the living room. Just let me know when you're done having your temper tantrum. And I left. So he got quiet and I thought he was done, but no, he came, he got up off the kitchen floor. He came into the living room where I was, threw himself down on the floor and started again. And I was like, okay, I'm so not going to allow you to, to do this. This is not going to get you, you know, you're not going to get anywhere with this. It's not going to work for me. So I left the room again. And shortly after that, he tried it a few more times and realized it wasn't going to work. So he gave up pretty quickly. Similar to the ego, the ego tried it a few more times and kind of gave up because it wasn't a really strong way for the ego to grab a hold of me and keep me in fear because the temper tantrum just didn't phase me. And probably because my son kind of helped me see it ahead of time and, and helped me identify how I could actually meet it. So when the ego started doing the temper tantrums and I could remove myself from the, the emotional upheaval or the emotional charge of the temper tantrum, my thoughts and the emotions that went along with them, I could separate myself a little bit and step back and go, okay, this is not, this is only my ego. It's having a temper tantrum. It's desperate. It's okay. I see you and it's not going to work. And then of course the ego evolves when that strategy doesn't work anymore got to find another strategy. So the fourth phase that or stage that it went through was into the trick, what I call the Trixie ego. The Trixie ego is, is exactly as it sounds. It's very tricksy to, to discern. It's very tricksy to identify and it becomes very clever and hidden and subtle. So from this wild temper tantrum, outward expression to this very subtle, hidden in the background, more so not like the hide and seek ego, but really, really, really subtle and tricksy. And it's in this stage where a lot of times the ego will disguise itself as love. It will disguise itself as caring and it will use the language of love itself to try and be your cheerleader. So it becomes very tricksy to discern between the ego and, and spirit, which is your teacher of love. And it is so tricksy that a lot of times people get caught up for a little while in that. So I teach people how to really tune into the subtle energy behind the words, behind the actions. So if there's a little niggling, like something feels off, but you can't quite put your finger on it, it's probably the tricksy ego. If you're in a situation and you're, you're doing well and everything feels good and all of a sudden something just feels like, oh, there's a little niggling or little feeling of uncertainty or uneasiness and it's very subtle, it's probably the tricksy ego that's coming in. So that one requires, again, 
a real deep level of divine discernment, an ability to kind of discern between the fear and true fear and fear disguised as love and then love. So there's kind of a difference between the three. Fear is usually obvious. And for the most part, we can identify it. It's really common when we actually feel into the energy of fear. But when it's the tricksy ego and it's fear disguised as love, it's very subtle because what the words you're hearing are, are in alignment, but the energy behind the words are a little bit off. Or you may be feeling aligned with something on, on some levels, but then on a very subtle level, something feels off. So it's tricksy because it's hidden and it's small and it's subtle and it's, it's clever. So the tricksy ego is one of those that sometimes it requires somebody else to help you identify or shine light on. So it becomes a lot of times a blind spot for people. So that's one that you can kind of work with other people on. The fifth one, the one that I experienced after the tricksy ego was the hamster wheel ego. And hamster wheel ego is the, the stage where it, the ego uses something and kind of keeps us looping and repeating in those repeating patterns. It also uses other people's stuff to kind of keep us running on a hamster wheel. So it's, it's very tricksy as well. And I find the hamster wheel ego is really good at feeding patterns, repetitive patterns that are not serving us or even self-sabotage is really, really strong in this phase. And the hamster wheel ego is one that I talk a lot about in the ego game of opposites because the ego game of opposites is about unwinding from those long-term triggers or repetitive patterns, self-sabotage. So when we identify when we're on that hamster wheel, it'll feel familiar. It'll feel like it, and in some ways, even that familiarity can create some comfort. So we can actually hang out here for a long time. Comfort is something that we're programmed to really kind of sink into. And just because something's comfortable doesn't mean it's actually good for us or healthy for us or even on, in, meant to be on our path. So we can actually get comfortable and be in you know, relationship or be in situations that are actually not serving our highest good. So the hamster wheel ego really feels, feeds that comfort and it actually feeds those patterns of, of sabotage. And we, but then it, of course, then it, then we get the guilt and we get everything else that comes along with that. So the hamster wheel ego, I find for a lot of people will be repetitive patterns. So an example of that would be, you know, if someone's kind of finding that they keep end up ending up in a relationship with men that are similar or women that are similar, and they kind of keep repeating the same pattern in relationships, we can have, we can have that with food, cycling around around food, emotional eating, those kinds of things. We can have it show up in, in work. So I know there's a lot of people that are, I've had different people that I worked with that are kind of go through these stages with work and they'll do some, maybe get hired for a job, but then eventually they kind of sabotage it and they end up getting fired or let go, or they end up just kind of leaving, quitting before, before they get fired. So there's a lot of different patterns. So if you're recognizing any patterns in your life that you're repeating, then chances are the hamster wheel ego is somewhere in there playing into these stages as well. The next stage is 
the mirror ego. The mirror ego, again, it's tricksy, but the mirror ego is something that we see in somebody else. And it's our own ego, but projected in the behavior or the words of somebody else. And what will happen is there's two ways this plays out. The first time I actually identified it was with my husband. When my husband, I was, I told him that I needed to let go of my admin assistant at work and that I was going to go in to the studio and let her know that she, she's no longer working for me and I'll give her two weeks severance pay. And he's like, so you're just going to like ask her to leave right away? And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, that's cold and heartless. And I was like, ouch, like it just hit my heart like a, like a thorn. And I'm like, it was so not like him because he's very, you know, supportive. He's very loving. He's very compassionate. It's just, it, it was, it felt like totally just a weird thing for him to say. So instead of getting all triggered and projecting my stuff onto him and getting all angry, I actually walked away and tuned into the words. So I use that mirror technique a lot of times. Like what were the words? Cause they hit me really hard. So I hit, I got triggered by them. So I had to look at how did I feel cold and heartless? I had to look at that first. And when I started to look at that, I started to really feel into those areas where I felt that I was being cold and heartless in this situation, but also just in any area of my life or in the past. So I kind of processed it. I took some time to process it. So once I processed the trigger and I cleared that, then I could actually go to, okay, well, that was a really odd thing for him to say. Where did that come from? And why, why would he just blurt that out in that moment? And what I realized in that moment, what I was being shown as a vision was the, my ego in him through his words. So my ego going and using him, using somebody else to mirror what was going on inside of me, my own fear, my own insecurities, my own cold and heartless kind of feeling is I did definitely felt guilty. Although I knew it was guided, I definitely felt guilty at the same time. So what the ego was using was kind of a mirror projection of my own fears and having it kind of speak through other people. So it became more real when I, it was reflected back to me in the world. And that actually gives ammunition. It gives fuel to the ego as well. So the ego uses the mirror as an opportunity to take your fears and have them come through someone else's words or someone else's mouth. Now, the other way the ego uses the, the mirror ego is through projection and judgment. And I often say that the ego will project something onto somebody else to keep us from healing it. So what'll happen is it uses projection. It kind of throws it over, casts it over onto somebody else so that it's out of our reach. It's over there. And then we kind of go into this cycle of blame and judgment and believe that they're the problem, that that's the problem and, and it's not within us. So it, it creates this experience of an arm's length uh, out of reach for us to heal something. And it gives us the illusion that it's not us that needs the healing, it's them. So the ego loves to use the, the mirror or projection to keep us from healing something. Because as long as it's over there, we can't heal it. As long as we're not taking ownership of our part in it, then we can't heal it. And we cast the blame and see the problem outside of ourselves.
So I often say, if you can see it in them, it must be in you. So that's where we can use this projection cycle to actually bring back our projections, bring back our judgments and actually turn them inward and use the mirror work to actually get in and underneath those hidden spots, those blind spots that the ego creates to keep us holding on to old wounds or buying into fear or keeping us running on the hamster wheel. So the cycle of projection and judgment and blame, I've talked about that in previous episodes. So you can find that more information on that in previous episodes. I think I did a whole episode on projection. And you can also find more information on that in my other book, which is Stand Up, Stand Out, Stand Strong, a 30-day guide to navigate life when the shift hits the fan. Now, before I take a break, I want to just let you guys know too, there's a couple different ways to stay connected with me and to access some free resources. So I put actual page. I created a page on my website. I promised last week I would. I created a page on my website. It's heartledliving.com forward slash free. And it has links to all the resources that are free for you to access. And the one thing I did was create a page for the 30-day challenge for the Stand Up, Stand Out, Stand Strong together. And that's based on my book. And you can go to that page, click on the free page, click on the 30-day meditation and and mindset challenge, and you can do follow it along. And what you're doing is reading, I'm reading the chapter from each of each chapter from the book, day 30 days, basically. And you can go along with the with the challenge. So it's free. It's on that page now. You can access it. There's no opt-in. Just go hang out and uh, take the journey. Take the journey to unwind your mind from fear and judgment and move yourself into love and oneness and compassion. And that's that 30-day journey through the Stand Up, Stand Out, Stand Strong book. So that resource is available. I've got the radio show link. We have 80 episodes. This is episode 80 today. There's 80 episodes you can do with the Life by Divine radio show podcast. You can download from your favorite podcast. If you go to iTunes, leave a review. I would love for you to do that because then more people can actually find it. I just found out recently I was number 20. I hit 23 on the top 100 in Canada, which is really exciting to me. And what I'm most powered by and passionate about is getting the word out to people and how, and empowering them to make different choices in their life, to change their mind, to open the hearts of as many people as possible. So this is one of the the venues that I use through the radio show. And if you're inspired, then please share it, share it with others so that there's, I know there's more people that need to hear this message. So please be be kind of a messenger as well by sharing those resources that you know in your heart really support you. Chances are they're going to support somebody else. So spread the word. It's really important, not just mine, but other people's too. So go to that page, heartandliving.com forward slash free. You can check out all the free resources, including the Heart Yes gift set. Um, That one you opt in, but the rest are all, you don't need to opt in. You don't need to put your information in. Just enjoy and and change change your mind change your mindset expand your heart this is what it's all about right now the world needs more people that are in alignment with love that are in alignment with their heart and this is one way to do it there's a lot of resources right now there's a lot of people offering you know 
uh, lending a hand and giving information, providing music, all this kind of stuff. It's beautiful, actually, what's happening in the world right now. So make sure you actually reach out and receive those gifts that are being extended. Because gifts that are extended that aren't received, just sit there. Energetically, they just sit there. So I would love to see them all received. And don't go out and try everything. Be guided as to what you're meant to try, what you're meant to listen to, what you're meant to embrace. Because your heart knows what you need. It, it knows what you need in the moment. And that's where, that's where you're going to get the, the most deepest healing. And it's going to support you on your path of awakening. I'm going to take a short break, and when I come back, we'll talk more about the rest of the stages of the evolution of the ego. I'll be right back. This is a clarion call for all healers, intuitives, empaths, light leaders, visionaries, and conscious souls. We are here to usher in deep healing and profound awakenings to shift our collective consciousness from head to heart to ignite hearts and unite in love for each other and our planet, to illuminate our path and the path for others. Our heart-led living community is a place to come home and to shine bright as beacons of love from this house of light. Join our Heart Yes movement and experience a sacred healing community of support as you discover how to embody your true heart yes, to hear and trust your intuition as you answer the deepest call of your heart. Take Sue's hand and open your heart to receive the support you need to heal self, be the change, and play your part in the healing of the whole of humanity. Join us at heartledliving.com forward slash become a member. Again, join us at heartledliving.com forward slash become a member. Welcome back. You're listening to Life by Divine and I am your host, Sue Dumay. Today, I've been talking about the evolution of the ego. So understanding how the ego evolves, especially in times of uncertainty, times of perceived crisis, global challenges, and everything that's going on right now in the world, your ego is evolving. And you might actually see different stages of the ego in other people. You might see these different stages of the ego in yourself. The the purpose of me sharing this information is so that you can be one step ahead of the ego so that you can actually have an awareness and go, oh, this is what Sue was talking about. This is the temper tantrum ego, or this is the, the hide and seek ego. And to be able to identify it when you're in it, when you create that level of understanding at the mind, you can actually shift out of it quicker. And then the ego will kind of lose its, lose its charge in that particular stage. And then it'll find another way course always finds a way it always finds a way but at least if you're aware then you can watch for these stages the other thing is you can notice these stages in other people and when you have an awareness you can have an understanding of why they may be kind of reacting or acting the way they are and when you have that level of understanding you can have some compassion so instead of judging people for where they are at in their stage of evolution for the ego, you can have an understanding and have some compassion. At the same time, it'll help you actually discern how to meet them in their ego. So if you're, 
embarking on a journey with somebody and all of a sudden you're encountering their mirror ego, then there are strategies that can help you identify and how to meet them so that you can actually continue to communicate with them in a way that they'll hear. The temper tantrum ego, the, those kinds of things, we can, we, can, we can all have an understanding of how to, and feel empowered on how to actually meet them and other people. So let's move to the hijacking ego. Hijacking egos, that's number seven. And again, I'm not sharing these in any particular order then other than maybe the order that they kind of showed up for me because in the book, The Evolution of the Ego, I kind of share my story and how it actually shows up and how it infiltrated my life in that particular stage in some ways so that you can have, a, have examples that you can actually identify in your, in your life as well and can, re can relate to. So the hijacking ego is the ego that loves to use the language of love itself and pretend to be love when it's actually fear and disguise. So an example of that would be the ego would be, come on this way, I'll keep you safe. And it sounds encouraging, it sounds loving, but really, true, truly, spirit would actually say you are safe. It won't say, come on, I need to keep you safe. The only reason we believe we need to be kept safe is because we believe in fear. And if we believe in fear, we're in alignment with the ego. So it's subtle. It's sometimes subtle, sometimes obvious. But the other thing that I noticed that the hijacking ego loves to do is guidance will come in. So we'll get this vision or you'll get this insight or you'll get kind of directions around something. You'll get the next step. That's how spirit works. It kind of gives you the step that's in front of you. So you get the step and then the ego takes it and runs with it. So it likes to hijack visions, it likes to hijack dreams, it likes to hijack ideas and goals and it just runs with it. So it ends up creating a lot more work and we go in these like, like a big detour and come back around and land and go, okay, well, that was a waste of time or kind of ran around a little bit of a track and didn't need to do that and now I'm, I'm, I'm back on, on path again. So. The hijacking ego, for example, I remember this one time I got this, this name, these words that kept coming in. And so I was like feeling into it and I'm like, I felt like something was coming, whether it was a program or a book or something like that. So I wrote the words down. Next thing you know, I'm like online, I'm, I'm sure I'm saving the Twitter name, I'm saving the Facebook name, I'm getting the domain name, I'm like doing all these things, I created this page, and I'm like, what is this all for? And it was very funny because I kind of went into autopilot feeling, and it wasn't until after it all happened that I stopped and go, okay, that was so ego hijacking me, and just taking me on this little tangent, and I ended up not using all of those things, they just sat there for a while, I didn't I didn't delete them or anything for quite a while. It was actually years later that I was like, why am I still holding on to this? So I ended up deleting all the, the Twitter accounts and all that kind of stuff. I didn't need it. So it's, it's very interesting how the ego will take something that spirit kind of plants in our mind as a seed or plants in our heart as a direction. And if we are not discerning, if we're not actually in alignment and really kind of tuning into it, the ego can take it and be our biggest cheerleader and be our biggest fan and actually encourage us to do way more work, spend way more money or spend may, way more time than is needed or that is guided. So the hijack ego works in a couple different ways, but that's what I found 
it's really good at taking a glimpse, a vision, and running with it and creating way more work and taking you off on different tangents that actually end up being these big detours that are just not necessary. And at the same time, I'm just going to say, when you take those detours, it's not wrong. It's just a little extra work, maybe a bit more of a challenging lesson, maybe a little bit more harder path, but it's not wrong. We can't get it wrong, actually. So recognizing, oh, I was hijacked by the ego. It's okay. How do I get back on path? So don't judge yourself. Don't beat yourself up for it. It's quite common. And the ego is really clever and so convincing. You know, you've got this big energy and, and voice in your mind that's actually cheering you on like your biggest cheerleader, like your best cheerleader in the whole wide world. Of course, you're going to go along with it at the beginning. But when you have that divine discernment, you'll be like, wait a minute, this, something feels off about this. Who, who is this really talking to me here? Is this really my inner spirit guiding me? Or is this the ego surra surrounding me with this energy of cheer and encouraging me to kind of take this detour and extra work and extra time and extra money? It loves to spend money. The, I find the hijacking ego is really good when it would take me from one workshop to the next workshop to the next training to the next thing. And I found that I spent a lot of money and time and energy that way because the hijack ego is so clever. It, it actually uses what I call the two kinds of feel good. There's that feel good, like a true heart yes. And then there's the hijacked artificial heart yes. The ego becomes really good at design, discovering, disguising itself as, as a cheerleader, as love, as excitement, as anticipation, all of those things. So when you become more attuned to the subtle discernment of the energy of fear underneath things, then you'll be able to identify that ego somewhere in here, and then you'll be able to actually shift it. Which brings me to number eight, the spiritual ego. The spiritual ego is a challenging one for people to identify within themselves because it's so convincing and it really honestly, we, we get to this place where we buy into it so much that we actually believe that we're actually coming from love. And it uses the language of love itself. It uses our spirituality. It'll use our practice. It'll use the language of our beliefs and truths at that time to actually keep us in fear. But it's very clever. And in the spiritual ego, when you have spiritual ego present, there's a always a feeling of superior or inferior. If you really tune into it, into the subtleness of it, you'll actually identify it. Sometimes the spiritual ego is very obvious in your face, and sometimes it's very subtle. The spiritual ego is very convincing, and it because it uses the language of spirituality or love so well, it actually makes us feel like we're the problem. This is where narcissists really thrive. So they, they're thriving at controlling and, and manipulating other people because there's a projection of you're the problem, it's your issue, you're just coming from fear, and it makes you really doubt your own intuition. So the spiritual ego is a tricksy one to, to navigate if it's in you, but it's also difficult to navigate when it's in another, when you're meeting it in another person. So I've become very, again, 
able to discern and feel into the spiritual ego in other people. But even in myself, it's become easier to identify. In the beginning, it wasn't. I actually had to have somebody else point it to me. And I really didn't like that they pointed it out to me because my spiritual ego was the helper, the teacher. I want to give people as much as I could. I want them to understand it. And when they didn't get it, I was really attached to them getting it. And when they didn't get it, it was really hard for me. And I, I became very kind of somewhat fierce sometimes in trying to help them get it. So when someone pointed that out to me, it was like thorns coming at me. I got really resistant and I was like, I felt very, it was through my ministry training actually that it all really kind of came to a head and I saw it really clearly. It didn't feel good to get pointed out that way because we believe that we're really doing the best for others. But when we can identify it and unwind from it, then we're really coming from more of a pure place of love. So for me, the spiritual ego is not as prominent as it was, but it still comes in and it still came in in the last couple of years in a couple of different ways. And I could feel it and sense it right away because I became more attuned to it. And anytime you have that feeling of superior or inferior, chances are the spiritual ego is there. When you feel that someone else is making you feel inferior or when you're puffing up your peacock feathers and making yourself feel better than somebody else, that's spiritual ego. Now, the spiritual ego is different than the super ego, which I alluded to, I talked about at the beginning. I'm not going to go into the super ego because that feels like a whole other entity, but there's a lot of super ego right now. The spiritual ego and super ego is, is right and the hijack ego and the mirror ego, they're, they're all kind of playing into this big, crazy, fear-based programming right now with all that's going on in the world. I'm not sure we'll see if I get guided to next week whether we'll do the spiritual ego and the super ego, but the super ego is kind of a collective ego, like everyone's ego coming at you. And the super ego actually only showed up for me after I wrote the book, The Evolution of the Ego. It actually showed up on the day that I was launching the book. And it was a very powerful experience. So I'll share that in another episode. And so we got two more to, to, to review. We're, we're coming close to the time together. So number 10, number nine is the surrendered ego. This is where the ego kind of realizes that it doesn't have as much control over your mind anymore, that you're really becoming aware and you're really practicing that conscious awareness moment to moment. So its angles are the angle or the point of weakness that the ego uses are all being kind of removed and dissolved. So the ego's at this point becomes dormant and it kind of steps back and recognizes that, okay, in this moment, I don't have an angle in this moment. There is no point of weakness, but I'll sit back here just like um, a spore can lay dormant for a long time. Just like, you know, a flea egg can lay dormant for a long time. So can this, so can the surrendered ego. So the ego will sit back, get quiet, kind of find it's like little place to, to hang and wait and wait for a moment and wait for a point of weakness. And it can be a small little tiny, like piece of doubt that comes in and the ego will come in and kind of expand it. So it finds these, it waits for these points of weaknesses and then it comes back in. So sometimes we can actually be in this state of feeling the absence of fear 
you're feeling the absence of the ego. And I've had these experiences and these stretches of time. And in the beginning, when they first started, it was weird because I'm kind of looking over my shoulder, like looking for it. Like, where is fear right now? Where is the ego? Where, where's that reactive side of me? Or where's that fear-based energy? It was gone. It felt odd. It felt like something was missing because it was so much a part of my life for so long that when it was absent, it felt uncomfortable a little bit at first. Once I started to really embrace that, that phase, that, that, that stage of the surrendered ego, actually, I start to enjoy it more and I could actually really sink in and appreciate it more. So for me, it became, you know, kind of a nice break from fear. And I wasn't attached to the fear of being gone and staying gone. If it did, I'd be happy. If it came back, it's okay. I can witness it and just continue on my process of meeting the ego, meeting fear and processing it and doing what I've always done. So I've been studying the ego for more than 10 years and I find it, I still find that it has clever new mind tactics and games and stuff it plays. Recently, I figured out the game, uh, the pendulum, the opposite pendulum. I like, there's a whole bunch of different ways that the ego, ego evolves. I almost have to update the book, I think, in the next little while to, to bring in some more of the, the clever tactics that it's using. The surrendered ego is one of those, you kind of feel like you get a break from the ego and it's really quite nice. It, and it was interesting because I actually had that experience the first time I went to Africa. I definitely had fear. I was processing my fear. And this, the second time I went to Africa, I had no fear. I had like, you know, rifles pointed at my, my, my head beside the car. I had somebody walking by me with a machete and it just, I was just really calm. Like I had no fear. It was very weird. And to have that contrast and from the first trip to the second trip and witnessing the fear on the first one and not on the second one, it was very interesting to have that experience. The surrendered ego was, was very much the stage that I was in on the second trip to Africa. So number 10 was the dissolved ego. The dissolved ego is when we actually reach that place where the ego is just gone. It just doesn't exist anymore. And you can see different examples of people who have kind of reached that stage of awakening, or if you want to call it enlightenment, that you know that they, they just don't have fear. Fear is just not part of their life anymore and part of their human experience. So they have this kind of ability to, the, 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 basically the, the ego has dissolved so much that they have the ability to just come from a place of love and joy. And the examples of that would be Eckhart Tolle, Adi Ashanti, and you know, in, individuals that are actually awake, the Dalai Lama, like those that are just awake and, and teaching, but teaching from a place where they're animated by love. They're not animated by fear anymore in their humanness. A lot of people are still animated by fear and love and they kind of flip back and forth. Once they get to the dissolved ego, then there's just love. They're just a beacon of love and they're awake and there's no going back to being not awake. So it's just a stage where you're at. So these are the 10 stages. I wanted to share them with you and give you some insights. If you want to dive deeper into them, have a better understanding of them, of course, you can pick up my book, The Evolution of the Ego, A Journey to Unwind Your Ego, Embrace Your Humanness, and Embody Your Divinity. The book is available 
on any of the online bookstores as print and as ebook. So feel free to find the book and pick it up and read through. I talk a lot about the ego, different personalities as well. So if you want to dive deeper into understanding the evolution of the ego, that is definitely um, one way to do it. So in this moment, when you kind of tune into all that I shared today, if you can identify where, where's your ego, what, is, what angle is your ego taking right now? What game is it playing? What stage is it kind of playing with you at? And if you can identify that, then you can create awareness. And when you create awareness, you can actually stop the ego or be one step ahead of the ego or not get caught up in it. So when, like I said, with the hijack ego or, or with the temper tantrum ego, if you can actually identify it and see it for what it is, oh, it's you, I see you, I see what you're doing, I see the angle you're taking, it's not going to work. Or if it is working, process the emotions around it so that you can actually move past it and you're not stuck in it. The evolution of the ego is, again, ever-evolving. I could probably add two or three more stages, like I mentioned the superego, just since I wrote the book. But I want you to understand that it's just part of our human experience. We actually created the ego, and it was purposeful, and it is purposeful, until we come to a point where it's not. But the ego has then become so embedded and so invested that it doesn't want to let go, that it doesn't want to dissolve. It doesn't want to even surrender. So it holds on. And when it holds on, then we end up struggling and creating more pain and suffering for ourselves. So when we have the awareness, we can actually really allow ourselves to be animated by love. We can embrace our humanness. We can embody our divinity and not be so directed and influenced by fear in our lives anymore. And that's really what the world needs, is to shift out of fear, back into love, in alignment with the truth of who we are, which is love. I love you all. I appreciate you. I honor you. I see you. Until next week, love and blessings. You've been listening to Life by Divine with your host, Sue DeMay. Shift your consciousness from head to heart and enliven your soul as you discover how to lead with your heart and live your own life by divine. Join Sue and the growing global heart-led living community at heartledliving.com. That is heartledliving.com.